Well, I should probably start with an update for some of you. Some of you weren't here last week, but some of you were. And you'll remember that last week was an exciting time in our congregation. Well, at least exciting for me as I tripped and fell and sort of maybe blacked out a little bit for a moment and then came to and and helped serve the rest of communion and preached. And um, I'll let you know that I have been to the doctor and that everything is fine. I am okay. Uh, My blood pressure is even better than I had expected, so hey, hey, hey. But uh, uh, I'm I'm doing good. And uh, not that I'm superstitious or anything. But thank you for your prayers. I know your concerns were there, and I appreciate that. Uh, But uh, you're not getting rid of me that easily. I plan to be around for a long, long, long while. So Um, let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. You are mighty, and you are a place of rest, yet it is hard for us to see that or find that sometimes. It is hard for us to trust that, and so we just pray that you will guide our hearts to you today. You have them, you created them, you know them, uh, and you have them, and so uh, teach us to stop wrestling with you about it and just give you our hearts as much as we can. Better yet, take them. Take them, they are yours. Let us hear your words today, Father. If they are not your words, we pray that they burn up, that they blow away. And if they are your words, Father, we pray that they will take root in our hearts and that they will bear good fruit, that they will bring glory to your name and that they will help us to enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, who is the way, it's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen. So we're wrapping up our series on our posture of what we are supposed to be uh, like, how we're supposed to stand, how we're supposed to sit, how we're supposed to lay, how, how we are to have our posture. And we're wrapping it up with the posture of rest. And I've done that intentionally because what we've been talking about over the last few weeks are a posture of welcome, a posture of four, a posture of Create a posture of care and a posture of go, which if you remember last week, go actually is follow because we're going where Christ has already gone. So we're following him in that way. And if you think about all those words, most of them have some sort of action or requirement from us, right? They, they are uh, create really has that care really has that we have to be engaging we have to be moving it's not a place where we just can sit still and i know my human heart is such that when i hear a list of things that need to be done oh i need to have a posture of create how am i creating what do i need to do what's the checklist to get that done am i actually creating today have i created today I desire to put it into some sort of actionable plan that I myself can accomplish. I found that out very clearly since getting a Fitbit. Fitbit are these little things right here, right, that go on your wrist, that keep track of everything that you're doing. Well, they keep track of some things that you're doing. I'll let you know there's a flaw in the Fitbit. I walked 10,000 steps from the pulpit last week after fainting. Uh, I didn't move that much, but because my wrist and I, it went crazy. That's why it's off today. 
But every night before I go to bed, I look at my Fitbit and I track what has happened. And I will notice, oh, I'm two glasses short of water. And I'll go into the restroom and I will get water in the sink and I will drink two glasses of water. That way I can hit the button and say, goal accomplished. I'll be at 9,920 steps and I will either do this <laughs> or I will walk in order to hit 10,000. Because then I'll be like, goal accomplished. Now the one goal that I seem to not be having a problem, and this relates to maybe why I tripped and fell last week, is to maintain my caloric intake. So I'm not quite hitting what it says that I'm supposed to be hitting, but I'm liking it because I've lost 3.3 kilos in the last week, so that's pretty good. Don't I look svelte? <laughs> Goal accomplished, right? Don't we all kind of do that? We have a human tendency to say, okay, I've heard the things that I need to do. I understand the things that I need to do. Here's my game plan and how I'm going to do them, and I will make sure that I do this. And when I do, I feel what? Good about myself. I feel good about what I've accomplished. I feel good that I've done the things that I said I was going to do. Now, the interesting thing about that is we're the ones that have set the goal. On the Fitbit, I'm the one that chooses what my goal is. As a matter of fact, if I wasn't hitting that goal, eventually I would go, that goal might be a little too high. I'll just go ahead and lower that down to the goal that I know I can hit. That way, goal accomplished, right? That's our human heart. That's the way we act. So I know over the last few weeks you've been hearing, how am I supposed to create? And how am I supposed to care? And what does it look like to be welcoming? And how do I respond to being for? What is this about going and following Christ, right? How does that look? Well, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus spoke into that. And he said, our posture needs to be a posture of rest. So, while we have to be a place that is welcoming, and by being welcoming, it makes us for everybody that we are with, right? And in that, we can care for them completely. And when we have a caring, welcoming community that is for all those who are with us, we have the ability to create great things that bring glory to God. And in doing that, we become the sweet aroma of Christ around all those, and they want to follow and go. But the first thing, the foundational is that we must have a posture of rest. Here again, Jesus. Listen to these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God, through Christ, calls us to a place of rest. Now that seems so opposed to the world around us, doesn't it? I want to tell you what this rest does for us. Then we're going to talk about a little bit of a practical application of what this rest looks like. We're going to get into the context of this a little bit too. 
The first thing that you need to know about rest is rest, when we have a posture of rest, it is a revelation of God's pursuit and reign in the world. When Christians have a posture of rest, where we're not looking to make sure everything's done right, when we're not, look, when we're not looking to make sure we're accomplishing all the things that we've set out to do, when there is a posture of rest, it is a revelation of God's pursuit and his reign in this world. Jesus makes it very clear here when he says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and labor, and I will give you rest. Come to me. In that come, there is a pursuit. It's saying, I am here. I have come for you. Now come to me. I have stood up and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me. I have come to you. That we see Christ's pursuit of us in that come, in that ask of us getting near him. And so when we rest, when we accept the rest that he gives to us, when we take it in and absorb it and allow it to permeate our lives, it is a proclamation of the revelation of God's pursuit for us. It says to the world and everyone around us that God has said, come, that he has called to us. But not only that, it is about his reign. What is his reign? He refers to himself this way. I am gently and lowly in heart. That Jesus is one that has a gentle heart. That it is not a reign like the world around us that is dominating. That is one that falls either into uh, uh, just sort of overcoming and overwhelming. That says my way is the right way and it's only that way. And if you don't get the right way, then you're wrong. It's one that says my way is the right way. And I want to love you to the place that you see it and know it. Not only that, we see his proclamation right before this passage. Listen to what he says here in verse 25. And I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone, who, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do you see the authority that's there? The reign of God in that statement? It says, all things, Father, has been handed to me. So when we accept the invitation of Jesus who says, come to me and rest, we are proclaiming the revelation of God's reign. We're saying God is in control, that he is the one who created the world, that he knows how it's going to turn out and he knows the way that it should turn out. That all the options that might be given, he knows the right option. That all the game plans that could be devised, he has devised the truth one. And we can follow him by resting. So the first thing is rest is a revelation of God's pursuit and reign. The second thing that it is, is rest is, an, is a resistance towards the prevalent culture of our day. Not just outside of the church, but within the church. 
Oftentimes, when Christians get together in our little holy huddles and we begin to talk about them versus us, which remember, we can't do that because we're not against, we're for. We begin to look at the world and say, look at how bad they are. Look at all the things that they do. And my goodness, how if they would just know Jesus, everything would be right. And while all that might be true, we neglect to look at ourselves within this passage. Now, there are multiple sermons and multiple commentaries that have been preached on this passage. And oftentimes, what people will say is, this is to all those who are downtrodden and heavy laden, that the world has just beat them up and, and, and taken them down. This is to all those who suffer from grief and discomfort because of ailments or because of loss or because of fractured relationships. Look, that's all correct. That's all true. And so we do want to say that our world today has a prevalent culture of self. And in self, that means they build, we build, a system that protects us in some form or fashion that we know we can achieve. And usually it's a very harried and rushed world that we live in. Even here in lovely Australia, <laughs> where you have beaches you could go to every afternoon, you know how many people I talk to about going to the beach who are like, mm, I haven't been to the beach in a long time. <laughs> Why? Because, well, work and family and busyness. And so even those people who say, yes, I have rest in my life, don't, they don't do it either. They're harried. They're rushed. They believe that that deadline or that project or the thing that they have said is more important than rest. But, that's not what Jesus is really dealing with here. <laughs> the resistance that he is showing in rest in here is the prevalent culture of the church. He's actually speaking to Pharisees and Sadducees here. And what he's saying is you have developed a system based on the Ten Commandments and the, Mo the law of Moses that I gave that was meant to bring freedom and point towards me, and you have made it burdensome to those around you. That we have this unique capacity as humans to take the good gifts of God that direct us towards freedom and direct us towards seeing Him and just twisting them a little bit, and they bring bondage and burden where we begin to see the things of God as being things we don't want to do. Now, part of it is because we've done really poor things with those. Getting into the Word. And what, what, what have we done with getting into the Word, hiding it into our hearts so that we might not sin against God? We, if you were raised in the church, you, or you heard those voices, and, and you heard that being said to you, and you've read that passage in Psalm 119, and, you, and you've thought to yourself, yes, I've got to do that, I've got to do that. When I was a kid, we had whirly birds. It's like a boys' brigade here, I think. And you got little trinkets that you put on a beanie if you accomplished the task of the week. And I can remember having 
this little folded sheet that had a memory verse that I needed to learn, an action that I needed to do, a prayer that I needed to say, and then what little thing I would get to have my mom sew on my beanie. We moved from one church to another church. My dad was a pastor. We were in Ardmore, Oklahoma, and I started Whirly Birds when we were there. We moved to Oklahoma City to Antioch Christian Church. When I got there, Vernell Jones, a dear, lovely woman, said to me, Lee, how far along were you in your awards of Whirly Birds? I was here like maybe four in. I told her I was about 16 in. Why? Well, because I liked the little trinkets? Well, all right, maybe. I was a kid, right? No, because I wanted people to see that I was good and holy and had done the things that God wanted me to do. And I could prove it because I had 16 little things on a beanie that I wore on Sunday night. And I would come in, and I'd have them all there. And sadly, my my wicked heart is such that never did I feel shame about it. But when I got to Jet Cadets, which was the next level up, they realized that probably something had gone wrong because I definitely wasn't quite as proficient as getting those badges that go on a shawl across your chest to match the amount and level that I had done there. And isn't that the case with all of us? So we either minimize it because we want to not deal with the burden of it, Or we just give up on it. Why do so many people leave the faith, the church, walk away? Because they see it as a burden. They don't see joy. They don't see love. They don't see celebration. They don't see rest. They see toil. And they've got enough of that during the week. That's the reason why rest is resistance to the prevalent culture in the world today. Not only in the world, but in the church itself. We begin to look at what devotion is to God as duty. And as soon as we look at it as a duty that has to be done, then labor sticks in, toil sticks in, and we no longer rest. And the likely avenue, quite honestly, is shame. So rest is a revelation of God's pursuit and his reign. Rest is a resistance towards the prevalent culture of the day. The third thing that rest is is this. Rest is a response to the completed work of Christ. When Christ is on the cross, he says these two words. It's And that's not like George W. Bush on a battle cruiser with a big sign that said mission accomplished in the middle of the Iraq war when it wasn't. He said, it's finished. It was done. God's wrath had been moved away. God's love comes pouring in. It's the most confrontational and comforting moment in the history of the world. It's finished. 
There's nothing else that needs to be done to bring the righteousness of God back to the world. There is nothing that needs to be done anymore to make a right relationship with God able to happen. Jesus did that all. And he did it, why? Because he is gentle and lowly at heart. And he wants us to find rest in him. Look, our response is this, that we put on his yoke. <laughs> Which is rest. Oftentimes, we think of a yoke as something that gets put on a big farm animal that helps them kind of plow. It's agricultural and it brings them forth. It's this big thing that fits over and they pull the things behind them. And when we think about this passage, we think of it as the yoke is getting put on me, but I still got to trudge along. The reality is it's a two-animal yoke. It's Christ's yoke. He has it on already. He's done the accomplished work. We join with him in the yoke, and we move forward. Think how brilliant this is that God, through Christ, says, I want you by my side in my accomplished work. So we no longer have to build systems and places. Not that those aren't helpful for us, because they are. But they're not the things that we're to be about. We must first rest in him. One of the ways that God helps us do that, to understand it, is something that he instituted in the Old Testament, and he fulfills in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It's called Sabbath. Let me be real honest, I'm terrible at Sabbath. <laughs> I wish I was so much, I have made checklists in order to accomplish Sabbath better. <laughs> Ironic. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So I don't want us to get caught up here we can have a longer discussion about this at some other point, about day or time or the way it happened. Okay. You need to know that God instituted it for a reason. On the seventh day, he rested. And if the creator of the world rested, then we, his creation, definitely need rest. Number one. Number two, Jesus fulfills the requirement of the rest in himself. But it is still appropriate and obedient for us to step into it, in what Christ has done. Remembering, it doesn't get us any closer to God, because <laughs> Jesus has accomplished it, right? The accomplished work of Christ. But it does enable us to step in and practice the art of resting. Why? Because we want to proclaim his revelation, right? of God's reign, we want to proclaim and rest in resistance towards the culture of the day, and we want to know and rest in the completed work of Christ. Peter Scazzaro is a pastor in New York City. He's wrote three books that I really like. One is Emotionally, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, one is The Emotionally Healthy Leader, and one is The Emotionally Healthy Church. Now, in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it's not a book for everyone. I, it is a book for everyone, but it's really not a book for everyone. It's a hard read. It's hard to get into. 
It's a book that I picked up and put down quite a bit. But then when I finally picked it up, it was something, God had something for me in it. But in it, he talks about Sabbath. And I want to give you the four things that he says are most important about Sabbath. A biblical Sabbath. The first one is this, stop. Sabbath requires you stopping. That means being still. That means not having plans. That means having plans before you get to that point so that you can stop. Number two, it requires rest. That you don't be about the toil of the world. There's enough toil in the world, and it will be here tomorrow. You can take a moment to rest. The third thing that is required in a biblical Sabbath is delight. That you must be looking to God and the joy that can fill your heart when you see his goodness, that he provides an opportunity for you to stop and rest because he has done all the work. It is accomplished. And so delight, a, a, a time of joy and praise and celebration. And then the fourth thing is to contemplate. That in that moment of Sabbath, that there should be a contemplation of what God has done, who he is, how he's interacting with you and with this world, with our community, with our gathering, what all he is doing. Too often in our lives, we will think, if I don't do this, no one will. If no one else will, it will fall apart and it will not happen. And this thing, for some reason, is the thing most paramount in our mind that needs to take place. If you are doing something and you don't find joy and rest in it, stop. Now, you're thinking about your job right now. I know. <laughs> you're going, uh-uh. <laughs> I, I got to pay the bills. You're right. <laughs> I want you to think about how you're pursuing God in that. I want you to contemplate what is God teaching you in those moments. Why does he have you in that place? but I do want to say this as well. If there is a way and a means for you to say, I will stop. Look, if there's a job in, the, in, in our fellowship, in our gathering, that you're not doing with joy and in rest, knowing that everything's been, stop. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Either somebody will pick it up or will recognize, oh, that didn't need to happen. God works in mysterious ways that way. What I want you to hear is that do not make God's devotion, your devotion towards God, a duty that becomes laborsome and toil. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you. If the world looks at you, if, if our 
people that are in our that are smelling the aroma of Christ on us if they are watching you and they see you only trudging along in this relationship why in heaven's name would they come to you it's just like when i'm in a bad mood my kids know and they circle the perimeter of me until they hear me make up a weird little song or do a little dance or smile their direction and they rush in because it's a restful place for them to be. Here's the great thing about this word rest. It is key in the word restoration. Our rest is in Christ's completed work because it is his movement of restoration, that redemptive pursuit that we talk about. And that restoration has happened now and it is to come. It is a picture of our complete wholeness in Christ today and what we look forward to in his second coming. It is a picture of our redemption and of sanctification that is going on. Notice, he invites, first of all, all you are who are uh, troubled and heavy uh, burden, come to me and I will give you rest. Redemption, right? Come to me and I will give you rest. Redemption. Then he says, take up my yoke and learn from me. Sanctification. God's bringing about his holiness into our lives. It is making right rest is restoration, making us to have a right relationship with God, a right relationship with ourselves, a right relationship with others, and a right relationship with place. So we stand in a posture of rest. Now, we're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to ask the musicians, Andy, to come forward. Earlier this week, Andy played me a song, because we do that. Sometimes they're not appropriate to play in church. Sometimes they are. This one was appropriate to play in church. And I, this song has run through my head all week long. And the moment I heard it, I said, Andy, that needs to be the conclusion of this sermon. It needs to be how I would tie a bow on it and wrap it up for you all. But I think it also needs to be our response because, again, we're humans and we like to create what we can accomplish. So they're going to sing this song and they're going to sing it over you. Just as the Father sings over us continually, his love song. And so I want you to sit and I want you to listen and I want you to rest in these words. In the valley, oh God, you're near. In the quiet, oh God, you're near. In the shadow, Oh God, you're near. At my breaking, oh 
God, you're near, you're near, oh God, you never leave my side, your love stands firm through all my In my searching, oh God, you're near. In my wandering, oh God, you're near. When I feel alone, oh God, you're near. At my lowest, oh God, you're near. You're near. joined as one by your blood hope will rise as we become more than conquerors through the one who loved the world hide nor death nor anything else could pull us apart we are joined as one your blood and hope will rise as we become more than conquerors through the one who loved the world oh God you never leave my side you're Father, it's impossible for us to do that. And so we need you. There are those who do not feel your presence by their side right now. Help us to be that presence. Be that presence. Show yourself to them. They may feel like they're in a dark room, Father, and the lights are out. Teach them to open their eyes to see you that the light is on, that you are shining bright, that their eyes are shut. Do it in your mercy and your grace and your love for them. Mm -hmm. 
Amen.